0: Chapter 24 They're lucky to be alive, Dr. Morgan said. Brant and his father stood listening in the emergency waiting room at the hospital. The doctor, a tall, middle-aged woman with short brown hair, had removed the darts from Meg's and Ginny's throats. She tucked her hands into the pockets of her white lab coat as she spoke to the girl's parents. They'll both have to stay here for at least several days, Dr. Morgan went on. They seem to have some minor nerve damage, and they are in shock. Not the girls regained consciousness yet. But will they be okay? Jinny's mother asked. I mean, when they wake up? The doctor sighed. We have no way of knowing, she replied softly, but they should make a full recovery. They should be fine. A short while later, Mr. McCloy led Brant away from the emergency room and drove home. You didn't see anybody leave the house, he asked Brant for the 20th time. No, Dad, I swear, Brant replied. The front door was locked. We would have seen somebody going through the back door. Brant's father drove on silently, his eyes narrowed on the road. Perhaps I shouldn't keep such dangerous objects in the house, he murmured to himself. But it never occurred to me that someone would actually use them. Dad, the ghost in the house, Brant started. His father raised a hand from the wheel, a signal to stop. Not now, Brant. No ghost talk now. But Dad, I really think... Not now, Brant. Let's talk about the ghost later, after we both had a chance to calm down. Brant leaned back in his seat and shut his eyes. He kept picturing the girls sprawled on the floor with the darts in their throats, and he kept thinking about the ghost. The diary, he thought. Will there be a new entry in the diary? Has the ghost left another message for me? As soon as Mr. McCloy pulled into the driveway, Brant jumped out of the car and ran inside. He climbed straight to his room. After making his way to the dresser, he bent to pull open the bottom drawer. Then he fumbled around in search of the diary. Clean t-shirts, a few misplaced pairs of socks, an old letter. Hey, where'd it go? He asked himself out loud. The diary was gone. He searched again, then got to his feet. There it was, on the floor by the closet, lying open. Brant approached it carefully. He stood above the notebook, gazing down at it. The diary had been opened to the last page. He could read the bold, blue writing from there. No more Jinny or Meg. Abby dies next. Chapter 25 Abby, I've got to warn Abby, Brant told himself. I've got to find her, I've got to tell her. She's in real danger. Somehow, I have to make her believe me. He started out of his room, but stopped when he reached the doorway. There stood Abby. Huh? He cried out in shock. You're here? It was as if he'd conjured her up himself. He sat forward and grabbed her by the shoulders. Abby, I'm so glad you're here. Did my parents let you in? Abby nodded. Yes, what's wrong, Brant? Abby, I, I, I was going to look for you. You're in terrible danger, he blurted out. Her features twisted in confusion. Danger? Yes, Brant replied breathlessly. Abby, you were right. This house is evil. You've got to get out of here and never come back. He locked his eyes on hers, studying her face, waiting for her reaction. Would she believe him? She had to. Abby stood perfectly still for a moment. Then she tossed back her blonde hair and laughed. Abby, Brant cried desperately. It's not a joke. I'm serious. You've got to listen to me. Ginny and Meg, two girls from school. They were nearly killed here this afternoon. And you, you could be next. Abby's smile faded. Her blue eyes lit up excitedly. Why, Brant, she said, you've been reading my diary, haven't you? Chapter 26 Brant stared at her. He opened his mouth to speak, but no sound came out. Your diary? he finally stammered. Abby's smile returned. Yeah, my diary, she replied. I hope you found it interesting, Brant. Before he could reply, she began to change. Brant stared in shock as Abby's small body stretched, her blonde hair lengthened, and her sweet face twisted with rage and hatred until it became a hideous mask of evil. He froze in terror as a completely different person stood in front of him. Abby was gone. What I wrote in my diary has come true, the girl told him. Abby is dead. She was only a disguise that I wore. Brant still struggled to speak, but he could utter only a horrified cry. I am Callie, the girl announced her cold blue eyes freezing him as she glared at him, the ghost of Callie Frazier. Brant turned his eyes away. He backed against the wall, trying to steady his trembling body. She had once been pretty, that was clear, but now her face was monstrous. Her eyes burned with cruelty, her mouth a red sneer. He turned back in time to see her float toward him. Brant pressed his back against the wall. "'What are you going to do to me?' he cried. She loomed closer, her hands clasped behind her back. "'Don't worry, Brant. I won't hurt you.' I care about you. Don't you know that? Her breath blew cold on his face as she spoke. Cold as death, Brant shivered. I'm not going to hurt you, Brant. Not really. I'm going to protect you, Callie assured him with an icy smile. I was so lonely, Brant. My family left me here, but then you came, and I wasn't alone anymore. Callie, please, he begged. She hovered closer, ignoring his plea. So I'm going to keep you here with me, Brant, forever. Keep you here and never be lonely again. "'No, please!' Brant pleaded. "'We'll move away from here. I promise. We'll all leave tonight!' he cried desperately. "'No, Brant. I don't think so,' Callie whispered, her cold breath chilling his skin. "'Your parents can leave if they want to. I don't care. "'But you're not going anywhere. You will be mine forever.' She brought her right hand forward. It held a small, decorated hatchet. Brant recognized it. It belonged to his father's collection. Callie raised a hatchet over her head. "'No!' Brant begged, raising his hands to shield himself. "'Callie, please!' It will hurt for only a second she murmured then we'll be together she raised the hatchet as high as she could and brought it down hard it sank with a sickening crack into brant's skull chapter 27 brant leaned back against the wall the hatchet remained buried in his head he stared back at callie watching her surprise he didn't move he didn't fall he didn't bleed callie floated back her cold blue eyes wide with confusion her mouth twisted in shock She raised both hands to her pale face. "'Brant!' she cried. He didn't move. "'Brant, what's happening?' she demanded in a trembling whisper. She circled him warily, her hands still pressed to her cheeks. Her expression changed from confusion to anger. "'Die!' she cried. "'I killed you, Brant! I killed you!' Neither of them moved or spoke. Then Brant slowly moved his right arm. Kelly's eyes widened. Brant's arm reached up. He yanked the hatchet from his skull and tossed it to the floor. It was his turn to smile. As his smile widened, Callie's face clouded in anger. What's going on here? She demanded. Why don't you bleed? Why aren't you dead? My condition, Brant began. Condition? What condition? She demanded impatiently. You can't kill me, Brant told her. I'm already dead. Chapter 28 Callie's mouth opened in an O of surprise. She shook her head as if trying to shake away Brant's words. You're lying, Callie accused him. She reached out and squeezed his arm, pinching it tightly between her icy fingers. "'You can't be dead,' she insisted. "'You're solid. You're not a ghost.' "'No, I'm not a ghost. But I am dead,' Brent replied. "'How—how did you die?' Callie demanded angrily, challenging him. Brent bent down to pick up the hatchet. He hefted it in his hands as he spoke. "'I died two years ago,' he revealed. "'How?' she repeated, her eyes locked skeptically on his. "'I was poisoned,' Brent explained. "'On the island of Mapala with my parents.' My father was working there searching for rare tribal weapons he began to tell callie the story as he knew it and as his parents had told it to him brent had been over and over this story in his mind during all the nights he lay awake in bed he kept trying to find some clue in it or some meaning to everything that was happening to him at 99 fear street he let the hatchet fall as the story began we were staying on a tiny island called Mopalau, he said that's where my father got those darts." Is that what killed you? Kelly asked suspiciously. You were shot with a dart? No, Brant replied. I died by mistake. Let me tell the story. Don't interrupt. She flashed him an angry scowl, but remained silent. The people who live on Apollo follow a strange religion, Brant continued. It involves herbs and potions, spells and rituals. They use all these things in their daily life. My father bought the darts from a young warrior who later thought Dad had cheated him. The warrior came to our hut one night and spread poison powder on our doorstep. Then he growled like a panther and waited for dad to come out and see what the noise was. He assumed that my father would be the one who came out first, the one who would step into the poison powder. But the growling woke me up first. I went to the door and stepped outside. When my feet touched the powder, at first I thought it was only sand, but then the soles of my feet began to burn. The pain was unbearable. I started screaming. My feet were on fire. The fires spread up my leg, all the way up through my body, until it reached my heart. When the poison hit my heart, I fell to the ground. I was dead. After that, all I know is what my parents told me, Brant said. The people in Mapalo were sorry for my parents. They put me in a coffin, and they buried me. Brant touched a small scar in his cheek and added, This scar was caused by one of the nails I hammered into my coffin. Callie ran a cold hand over the scar, as if to make sure it was real. But my mother couldn't believe I was dead, Bran continued. She wouldn't believe it. She kept on insisting there was a mistake. So my father went to a sorcerer in the village. He was like a witch doctor. He knew more about magic and spells than anyone else on the island. He gave people potions and medicines. He might have made the poison that killed me, for all I know. The sorcerer said to my parents, Your son's death does not have to last. He is missing only one part of his spirit, the life force. His life force has been taken away from him but I can give him a new one. How? Callie asked. The sorcerer and my father dug up my grave. They dragged my coffin to the sorcerer's hut. The sorcerer left the coffin in a corner of the hut. He told my mother to stay by it day and night, keeping watch. Don't let anyone near the body, he said. Then the sorcerer went up to the main road on the island. Night was coming on. He sat by the road and watched the people wander past. Some were fishermen on their way home with a day's catch. Some were women carrying fruit back to their huts. Then a stranger walked by, a drifter. He stumbled down the road, ragged and dirty. The sorcerer beckoned to him. You look hungry, my friend, the sorcerer said, and you look tired. I am on my way home now. Come to my hut and I will feed you. You may spend the night there if you wish. The drifter probably wanted to go home with the sorcerer, but he hesitated. He knew that people on Mapala could be dangerous. The sorcerer said, You must not sleep outdoors on Mapala. The island is full of panthers. One of them will surely eat you before morning. So the Drifter went with the Sorcerer. He felt he had no choice. Brandt paused. Callie's eyes fell on the leather pouch he always wore. Yes, Callie, Brandt assured her, tugging on the pouch. This pouch is coming into the story soon. The Sorcerer brought the Drifter into his hut and gave him some kind of herbal tea. The tea was heavily drugged. After a few minutes the Drifter lay as still as if he were dead. The Sorcerer told my father to open my coffin. He looked at my corpse. I had been dead for only one day. My body had not yet begun to decay. Brandt swallowed hard. It felt strange to talk about himself this way. My parents watched as the sorcerer went to work. He took off the drifter's clothes and handed them to my father. He told my father to trust me in the drifter's clothes. Then the sorcerer cut off the drifter's hair. He clipped off his fingernails. He put the hair and the fingernail clippings into a leather pouch. This pouch. Brandt touched the leather pouch again. He put the pouch around my neck. Now I wore the drifter's clothes on my body and wore his hair and nails around my neck. Still I was dead. The drifter lay on the floor, breathing softly. The sorcerer and my father lowered my body on the floor beside the drifter's. Then my parents huddled in a corner and watched the sorcerer perform a strange ceremony. He lit a torch and danced around my body and the drifter's body in a figure eight. He chanted something in a strange language my father had never heard before. Then he waved a torch over my corpse passing it from the drifter's body to mine, over and over again, chanting in that weird language. The ceremony lasted until dawn. My father said he heard a rooster crow. At that very moment he saw the drifter shudder. The man never breathed again. Then my father stared at me, and saw my chest move up, then down. My mother screamed she was so happy, she had seen me breathe too. I was alive! I had been dead, but now I was alive again. I sat up I opened my eyes. I was alive, but the drifter was dead. The sorcerer had stolen his life force and given it to me. Brant sank back. The story was finished. Callie floated closer. Brant, she whispered. This is even better than I'd hoped. You're dead, but you're not. You're undead. She threw her arms around him. We'll have so much fun. Brant, you and I will haunt this house together. Forever. She brought her face close to kiss him. But a cold cloud fell over Brant. He raised his eyes to it and saw the dark shadow figure that had been chasing him. Who, who are you? Brant cried out. Chapter 29 The shadow loomed closer, darkening the hallway as it moved. I've come back to take my life, the dark figure cried. Brant gaped into the darkness. You, he uttered. As Brant stared at the shifting dark cloud, the figure inside it began to take shape. The image came clearer, clearer, like a camera lens focusing. The shadows faded and fell away. Brant found himself staring at a man. It was impossible to tell how old he was. His hair had been shorn off until he was nearly bald. He was short and wiry. The top of his head reached only to Brant's chin. He wore cotton pants and a cotton shirt. The clothes hung loose and long on him, clearly too large. The sleeves of the shirt flapped over his hands. The cuffs of the pants dragged along the floor. His tiny, round, black eyes gleamed dully, hard and empty, lifeless. A cold, sickening realization shuddered through Brant. The shadowy figure who'd been chasing him. It wasn't Callie's ghost after all. The shadowy figure was the spirit of the drifter from the island. I've come to take my life back, the drifter announced in a dry whisper. The sound of crackling dead leaves from the hole that was his mouth. No, stay away from me, Brant cried, backing away in terror. Please, stay away. With lightning quickness, the man's bony hand shot out and ripped the leather pouch from Brant's neck. No, please, Brant protested a weaker now. Clutching the pouch, the shadowy figure grew solid. His features grew sharper and clearer in the dim light of the hallway. His skin and eyes gave off a warm glow. My heart is beating, the drifter cried joyfully. I'm alive! He vanished silently down the stairs. Please, Brandt whispered helplessly. The breath seeped out of his body. He tried to inhale, to pull air in with his lungs, but he hadn't the strength. Brandt? Kelly narrowed her eyes at him. Are you okay? Brant answered with a low moan. He could feel his tongue shrivel up. As he opened his mouth, several teeth fell out. Glancing down, he saw his hands wrinkle. The skin turned green, curled up, then dropped off in chunks. He watched Callie's face contort in horror at the sight of him. He watched her lips move frantically, but he couldn't hear her words. He reached up to check his ears and realized they had fallen off. He saw her start to scream, but then his eyes sank back in their sockets and he saw nothing more. No! Callie screamed. Brant, don't leave me! Brent's body shriveled and decomposed before her eyes. His skeleton collapsed into the floor. Callie's wails of anger and despair echoed through the house all through the night. Brandt had been taken from her. She felt as if the evil of the house had defeated her once more. She was alone again. EPILOGUE There they go, Callie muttered to herself, on being abandoned once more. She hovered in her usual place, staring out of the attic window. A cobweb draped across the ceiling just above her face. Rats scampered across the dusty floor, searching for something to nimble on. In the street in front of the house, Callie saw a long, black hearse. Four men moved out of the house and slowly down the driveway, shouldering a shiny, dark wood coffin. Look, Callie said, pointing out the window. She spoke as if to a friend, but she had no friends. There it goes! There goes Brant's coffin! Mr. and Mrs. McCloy followed behind the coffin in a grim procession. Mr. McCloy wore a dark suit. Mrs. McCloy wore a black dress and a black veil. Behind the veil she sobbed, her head bowed, a handkerchief pressed to her face. Brand's parents, Callie said in contempt. I never liked them. They were so stupid, so uncaring, so self-absorbed. I'm glad they're going. I can't wait for them to leave. Get out of my house, she roared at them. Of course they couldn't hear her. The undertaker pulled open the back of the hearse. The pallbearers lowered the heavy coffin, struggling with it, then slid it inside the undertaker shut the door of the house mr and mrs mccloy climbed into their car the undertaker sat in the front seat of the hearse he started the motor a tremor of grief and fury seized callie no she screamed brand stays here with me don't take him away but the long black hearse pulled silently away from the curb and rolled quickly down fear street and out of sight callie let out a long shrill animal wail of protest it echoed through the empty house the misery on callie's face hardened into a mask her icy blue eyes glittered with hate. I won't be alone here forever, she murmured through clenched teeth. Someone else will move into this house. Sooner or later, a new victim will come. She snickered scornfully, thinking of the evil she would do. Next time. Someone will pay for my unhappiness, she vowed. The next people to arrive will be sorry they ever came. to ninety-nine Fear Street. To be concluded, I'm Chris Evanger. Thank you for listening to Nightfall Audiobooks production of 99 Fear Street, Book 2, The Second Horror by R.L. Stein. I've had a lot of fun recording this podcast. I will be finishing it with Book 3, but once that comes out, I'll be scheduled into like May or June. So I need to do a summer kind of themed R.L. Stein Fear Street book. I might do One Evil Summer. There's quite a few I really, really want to do. I want to do Double Date missing the mind reader haunted oh and the cheater i want to do all of those and then i'll start my next trilogy i don't know what my next trilogy is going to be i would like to do the silent night trilogy but those are all super chillers super chillers are a little longer to do than a regular fear street book they're like 50 to 75 pages longer they're a bit more in depth they're meatier i would love to do silent night one and two Riva dalvey a huge bitch and i would love to do her justice at in my version of the audiobook. I have not read book three. My reading that in a podcast would be the first time I ever read it. All the other books I've read, I'm very familiar with. I've read a few times. Other trilogies I want to do are the Fear Street Sagas trilogy, which is the history of Fear Street, which would be great. That's one of the goals of doing this podcast is to give you the history of Fear Street. It's not just a spooky street. There's some real history behind it. There's Simon fear, there's his wife, there's the the goods and and they're a whole feud it goes back hundreds of years. So there's a reason why there's a mansion on a hill and there's a cemetery across the street from it it's it's really really nice um, to read the whole history. you know books one and two are kind of kind of slow, but they need to be there for the history and stuff and then you read book three and you're like, ah. You know, Simon Fear is actually here and he's doing his things. And now we know why Fear Street is so haunted. So I really want to do that. I want to do the Cataluna Chronicles. That's a really good standalone trilogy. It's got witches. It's got cars. There's time travel. It's a lot, a lot of fun. I do not know if I'm going to get into the cheerleader stuff or the Fear Street Knights or the new stuff he did with his relaunch. I am not doing Ghosts of Fear Street. Ghost of Fear Street looks to me like it's Goosebumps only it takes place on Fear Street so it's more for like a smaller smaller YA younger audience and that's not what I'm trying to accomplish here. I also want to get into the Point Horror stuff. I do want to read Hit and Run, The Snowman, and The Hitchhiker. I didn't realize Point Horror was doing things with R.L. Stein and that it wasn't Fear Street until this year when I started doing research for this podcast. So I've gone on my entire life thinking that these books were just unbranded Fear Street books. I had no idea they weren't point horror books. And that's okay. We're going to have some fun. So thank you for listening. If you would like to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at Nightfall Audio. And if you want to drop me an email, it's NightfallAudiobooks at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I would love to hear your thoughts. And I'll see you next time.